Welcome to another week of the Sports Block Podcast. Nathan Stacken with you here alongside my good friend and co-host of this fine podcast, Mr. Travis Crins. Travis, I wish we had something to talk about this week. It's not like there's anything that happened in the NCAA, during the NCAA tournament that needs to be discussed, right? So the Thursday, there's a big thing happened on Friday night, but to me this was a, this was a Thursday-Saturday tournament. Thursday-Saturday tournament. Yes. Well, yeah, because Thursday, Saturday, anyway, right? Well, and like even with these upsets, all of these upsets, these have not been close games. Like Wichita State lost by 20. Uh, Virginia lost by 20. Uh, Arizona, that was on Thursday, they lost by 20 some points. Uh, a lot of these games with these upsets, they've, they've not been close. So it's not like we've had a bunch of buzzer beaters. We've had... Uh, Michigan had one. Loyola's had two. Chicago's had two. I think those are the only ones. Might be a couple others. Rhode Island almost had one. Yep, and an overtime game. uh, Like Michigan State almost had one. So, been a couple. Um, Not a ton of great games, I would say. I mean, you had uh, UMBC, Kansas State. They couldn't even score 95 points. So, Disgusting, but um, no, like great. I mean, there's still games to go here, so hopefully, at least for me, there hasn't been any great back and forth game yet. Well, I, I mean, I would. East, Eastern Michigan, Eastern Michigan was all right. Yes, yes, it was, but I mean, hey, I, I, I'm thinking you like what Texas Tech and Florida. The game I guess that you liked. Oh, yeah, I mean, that was a very good game back. I mean, Texas Tech and uh, Stephen F. Austin was excellent here. Before we break down the brackets further, though, uh, because everyone's bracket is busted at this point here. Uh, Except Drew Alman. Drew Alman uh, looking good. Yes. Yes, he is. Uh, and anyone who had Kentucky coming out of the South, they're looking outstanding. Um, but uh, I don't know if you saw, but there is a report... From Howard, what is it, Erskine, Eskin, from uh, the, the Philadelphia radio station okay. out there. He is saying that the uh, the Vikings will open up against the Eagles. It'll be Vikings at Eagles to open the season. Uh, of course, the NFL schedule comes out in the middle of April, so in about a month. Uh, I always look forward to this day. And I'm looking forward to it this year with more anticipation than usual because of how many primetime games or three 325 games the Vikings are going to get now with Kirk Cousins and all these you know these big games that they have. But uh, Vikings at Eagles, if that's the uh, if that's the game, what what do you think of that? That would be that that yeah that should that makes the most sense. The uh, Kirk Cousins coming in, that's fine. Play him first game. Play him. Play him week fifth. Play him whenever. I don't care. I mean, it, uh, yeah. I mean, Eagles for him. The Super Bowl team usually wins that game. That's fine. It's, I mean, it's a tough game. Eagles look good. So, yeah, it's, play it now. Play it whenever. You know, Thursday I, night. Go ahead. The the one thing, any game, any home game that the Eagles have next year is going to be must. You know, is a, a prime matchup. Maybe apart from Washington, no. but. Uh, I mean, you Colts. could do Dallas. They have the Colts. They have the Texans. I mean, wouldn't you like to see Deshaun Watson against Carson Wentz? That would be very intriguing. Um, uh, the 
couple other ones that I'm uh, that I'm forgetting right now. Who they play in the South? Oh, the Falcons. The Falcons would be, be good. The Panthers, the but that's the I, that's I, the best. I mean, that's the best storyline right there. That's that's what it is. And I think adding Kirk Cousins makes it a uh, a slam dunk just because of his familiarity with the Eagles. You know, having played in the NFC East over the last how many years? So it. If that if that happens, I'm I'm okay with it. And plus, if it means oh the Vikings go 0 and 1 start the year, you know what? Big deal. It's a tough game against the Eagles on a on a primetime stage. So be it. Uh, but looking uh, looking forward to that. But yeah, let I mean this is it essentially is it's a bracket breakdown here. Uh, Sweet 16 begins on Thursday, and I'll tell you what uh, the ratings. Are probably not going to be very good this weekend for oh, yeah, for the Sweet 16. Okay, let's look at the South here. Uh, Kansas State. Uh, UM, yeah, go ahead. One of it was, was it UMBC had like the highest rated. I don't know if it was the Virginia game or it was one game last night. It was one of the games like UMBC was the 3.3 million watched on cable, and that was the number one cable that night or this week or whatever. So people well, watched that. I would almost have to think it was Friday Friday night when they uh, embarrassed Virginia. But you just look at these. Let's start there. Because it had never happened before. We've talked about it countless times. No 16 seed has ever beaten a 1 seed. And, you know, it, you just it's dumb to pick it in your bracket. Because it's just not going to happen. But lo and behold, Friday night... UMBC and Virginia, it's 21-21 at the half. You're like, okay, well, that's not a good first half there for Virginia, but they'll pick it up here in the second half. It doesn't matter that they're missing DeAndre Hunter, the, the ACC sixth man of the year. I mean, they, they'll get by this UMB you know, retriever squad. And then Jarris Lyles put on a fantastic show in the second half. He could not miss. Virginia kept taking three-pointers. They couldn't knock them down. They were taking contested shots. This was as un-Virginia-like a performance as you could possibly see. And, I mean, if anyone told you, hey, a 16 seed's going to beat a one seed, you're like, okay. Eventually, someday, yeah, I can see that. And if you would say that that 16 seed would beat the one seed by 20 points, you would be laughed at for all of eternity. And that's what UMBC did. Like, This is as improbable a victory or outcome of a college basketball game as you could ever have, not only in college basketball, but any sport. Like, this rivals with the, uh, you know, I, I, I'm i always going to put the Miracle on Ice in its own separate category here because that was essentially college players playing against the professionals. But if, like, this was UMBC beating, say, I'll just the, the, the Detroit Pistons, that, that that's something that would uh, that certainly rival it. Now this is a this is a huge deal. I'm not trying to diminish it by any stretch. I mean, this uh, this is unfathomable how this all transpired Friday night. Greatest upset in the history of college yes sports and one of the biggest upsets ever. Uh, Virginia's defense. I mean, they gave up 53 in the second half. 50, I want to know how many times they gave up 53 and fewer than a game. Yeah. Like, most points they've given up all year. This was, the second half, this game wasn't close. No. One team, like one, the other team looked like the one seed, Virginia. It was, 
it was great. I was so happy. I was so happy yeah. that it's Virginia. I'm so happy that it's Virginia that this happened to. They're the first. They'll always be the first. When you think about Virginia basketball, this is probably the first thing you'll think of for, for a long, long time. Yes. And I can't express the happiness that Virginia lost as a one seed. They were a 20-point favorite. And they got crushed by 24. It was amazing. We It can't just be that they were missing Hunter, though, right? There, there's just something. Was it like there, there has to be something in the psychology of, you know, or their, just their overall mindset going into this game. I mean, because that, I, I just don't get. And then Lyles was making everything. And this kid's great. I remember watching him in the American East Championship game against, uh, uh, against Vermont, Vermont, my Vermont squad. I was very hurt that Vermont lost that game, but I was familiar with the Lyles name. So when he's making all these shots, I'm like, oh yeah, I remember that 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 little sh- you know schmuck who uh, kept who knocked my catamounts out. But I'm, yeah, I mean they were just slicing through Virginia Virginia's defense like a hot knife through butter. And it just it to me it's unexplainable. What Virginia did, and I sent out multiple tweets Friday night about this game, and I and One I'm going to somehow I thought was very bad. It was a bad tweet. What 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 was the bad tweet that you saw? It was a fireable offense. Yes, is this not is this not something that? No, it, it's not. No. Why is it not? They were thirty. They were the number one overall seed. They were thirty-one and two. I mean, they're not going to fire the guy. I mean, they haven't done anything before Tony Bennett got there. I mean, they're not going to even consider firing the guy. I mean, shit. This is something that will hang over their heads forever. Yes. Even if they win a national championship, it that won't. won't it, it won't matter. I mean, it'll it'll certainly take everything out, but. I, I don't think that this is something that this Virginia program here will be able to overcome within the next two or three years under Tony Bennett. I just don't. And yes, maybe I've gone over, I overstepped my boundaries. I, I went a little too far in saying he should be fired. But I, I just do not see how Virginia is ever going to come back from this. I don't. I don't see them winning a championship. Oh, It'll be fine. It's just like they just can't win the tournament. I mean, regular season, they won the ACC. They've done all this stuff. It doesn't matter if you can't reach the Final Four. You know, they've, they've been very good for multiple years now. And, and Villanova finally won a title after 30 years, a couple of years ago. So good for Villanova. And if I had to guess, I'd, I'd guess Villanova's probably going to win it again this year. But, yep. uh, like, Virginia, I mean, they, they've got to do that. They've got to get to the Final Four. they got to win. they got to win a national title. If you're going to be the number one team in the country, if you're going to run through the ACC, go 31-2. and two. I mean, if you do that, then that, that should help heal whatever happened on uh, Friday night. I don't, but I don't see it happening, though. At least not under Tony Bennett. I think you've got to change your your style of coaching. That's, I mean, that's just what him and his dad, the defense, that style of play, uh, that's just what, what they do. And the thing about it is Virginia shot at eight more shot attempts but UMBC made three more baskets. UMBC shot 
Virginia shot 41, uh, similar to the women's game for SDSU. Virginia made four threes, and UMBC made 12. Mm -hmm. So it was... And and Virginia turned the ball over seven times, and I like they were turning the ball over a lot. Uh, They only played two guys off the bench. Uh, They they just played as as poorly as you could play. It was a struggle to get to 50, and uh, if... But one team's going to lose like this. You hope to hell it's a team like Virginia that, that can struggle to score. And boy, did they, did they struggle to score. I, I guess I just don't see how Virginia can come back from this. I don't. And arguably, I mean, two of the biggest upsets in college basketball history have happened against Virginia. Chaminade back when Virginia was number one with Ralph Sampson. And here again, Virginia, number one in the country, loses to a 16 seed the first time it's ever happened. I... I just don't. Yes, they'll be back next year. They'll probably make the tournament. You know, but I mean, you're going to look at this. It's going to be brought up again, and I, 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 I'm just. I don't. I don't see how it's going to pan out for him. I, I, I really don't. I think this is something that forever will hang over Tony Bennett here at Virginia, and I don't see them advancing very far in the NCAA tournament under his leadership. Harvard women beat Stanford whenever that was. Yes. That was 90... I want to say that was 98. And, and Stanford's been fine. I mean, it's, it's you know, men and women's basketball, but I mean, it, and people don't even remember that. Um, but it, I mean, it's, it's, it's very, I mean, it was going to happen at some point. Yep. A lot of people liked Penn against Kansas. That first half was close. Yes, it was. Penn I mean, was, it was up by ele- uh, 21 to 11. Whether it was this year or sometime in the next hundred years, I mean, it's almost had what three, four times. It's almost happened, so it's been very close to happening. And as you said, I mean, it was a twenty-point loss, which you wouldn't expect—just complete domination. And the thing about it is, the next game they play, they played absolutely terrible. If they play that game against Virginia, they probably lose by thirty points. And uh, the toughest game that they were going to play the rest of the way was the first game. So they beat the hell out of Virginia, and, and they can barely score 40 points against Kansas State. Who I, I like them, but I didn't have them in the tournament. So, Yeah, I've, but you, that always happens, you know, with... T- the, one, the lone exception that I really can thoroughly remember here, maybe, and I'm d- discounting VCU in their Final Four run, because, I mean, they were an 11 seed that year. Granted, that was big. But out of these teams that can pull off these huge upsets. The one team that did it the best of the first weekend of the tournament was Florida Gulf Coast because they took down Georgetown and then they beat the hell out of San Diego State. And yes, they lost to Florida then in the Sweet 16. But that, I mean, they were able to handle that next game. And that's the difficult part when you're one of these small schools that pulls off an upset. You know, like a, you know, like Buffalo just handing it to Arizona then people like myself, I was like, okay, you know, they said that they expected to beat Arizona. Well, Arizona's more talented than Kentucky, so Buffalo should then be able to hang with Kentucky. Well, Buffalo did for a while, but not a, they, they couldn't knock down the shots that they did against Arizona. Kentucky certainly had a height advantage too, so that helped. But it was, you know, Buffalo was just never the same in that game. They didn't come out with the same swagger as they did against Arizona. Case in point two with with Marshall beating Wichita State. Uh, 
13-4 upset. Then they get the doors blown off them in an in-state rivalry against West Virginia. It's just something about these teams that pull off these big upsets that the next game it, they don't carry over and maybe it's all the you know the media attention the nat- like the the radio shows the television stations everyone wants to get a piece of the action here in the Cinderella and you know for UMBC it was it was close with Kansas State they all obviously they lost but i mean it it you just I think there is something to that about being able to carry it over to the next game, and very few can do it. I would say it's just a case of the better team winning the second time. Like Virginia is better than UMBC, and like Wichita State killed me; they were terrible. Mm-hmm. And uh, <clears throat> if you play that game, these upsets—if you play them a hundred times—I mean, maybe the maybe the lower-seeded team wins 20 or 30 times. In Virginia's case, I don't know, Virginia probably wins 95% of the time, you'd hope. Yep. But, I mean, it's very, very difficult to, to beat two very good teams in three days. Yep, it and is. I, what, what, what's the most disappointing team in the tournament? Because I don't think it's Virginia, because I didn't have that of them winning two games. The most disappointing team is either like North Carolina or Cincinnati. Yeah. Because I had them going to the Final Four and I had Carolina win the whole thing. And Carolina wasn't even close. I would, all, Charlotte. I would argue and Michigan State <laughs> could certainly fit that bill as well. Like, I, I, I guess it just depends on how far you had certain teams going. Yep. No, no. And you're bright. I, I, I totally I'm, get it. Uh, just looking through some of these other teams that you, you Syracuse, like Syracuse, they're the play-in, they're the play-in game winner usually goes to the Sweet Sixteen. And I wasn't sure that wasn't St. Bonaventure, so it's mm-hmm. Syracuse. Yeah, I mean, I, I just the way Michigan State played against Syracuse and missing their final what thirteen shots. You know, how can you not figure out this two-three zone? You just got to kick it out. Driving. I mean, it's it's easier said than done. Yes, but never see it. They, 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 they never see it. They have no idea what to do. Like Cincinnati, up twenty-two points. Yes. Yep. In the second half, I mean, if they win that game, they got to play Chicago next. Yep. And then may and probably Kentucky. Yeah, and they that's win. A, they win right. both of those games. I see. Just what a year. My God! I mean, and hell, I mean, look at Nevada too, having to come back from two double-digit deficits in the second half to win both of their games. You wonder how much they're going to have left in the tank. Uh, I mean, I think they can certainly get by Loyola, Chicago, but Loyola is very good. They they play sound a sound game all the way around. They play it close, so I expect it'll be that way here. But there's no reason why Nevada can't come out of the South. There's no reason why Nevada can't beat Kentucky. Nevada has the team to do it. They have the squad. I just thought that Cincinnati would overall be better. And then, since we're shitting on the city of Cincinnati, let's throw Xavier in on the mix, too, because they they had Florida State right where they wanted him, and Florida State goes on an 18-4 run to end the game and beat Xavier, and it's just... What do we always say? You could take Xavier to go two games in the tournament? This seemed as as easy of a two games as you could possibly get. Like, Florida State was not playing well entering the tournament, and here all of a sudden, they find themselves in 
the Sweet 16. It just, it, it baffles me, it boggles my mind how these teams just go south when they have a leak. Like, just put your foot on the, the opposing team's throats and end it. And they don't do it. I, I mean, this is the, my worst bracket I've ever had. I'm going to end up with more losses than wins. It's very bad. That's why you should fill out more and than I one. Yes. <laughs> yeah. And then I, I spent, uh, you know, five minutes filling mine out. And, uh, like it, and then ESPN had their 24 hours of shit. Mm-hmm. I don't know what, I don't know how they talk about it for 24 hours. And, I mean, this year, I mean, there's been other years like this. Yep. And then, like, like this year, like, you know, Florida State wasn't playing well. What do you do with They lost five of eight or whatever the hell it was. Mm-hmm. And uh, they're not going to win. And then they beat and then they didn't go on and win. And, um, you know, Virginia, they, they're rolling everybody. And they lose. So it's, it's like, what's even the point of of looking at it and putting logic to it and looking at, and what happened here. I mean, it, yep. it, it's, it's randomness. Like nobody, I mean, I'm in pick Nevada to go to the Elite Eight. I'm happy for Nevada. Mm-hmm. You picked uh, A&M to go to the, I think, the Elite Eight. Yep. And then, like, Jesus Christ. Yep. That's, um, you wouldn't look at that and you wouldn't know. You wouldn't, you wouldn't pick that if you, uh, maybe it's better not to know as much. And it, there's a uh, lady at work, uh, of all the people that filled out a bracket, probably knows the least of anybody, and she's got all of her Final Four left. She picked, uh, I think, A&M to beat Carolina. She picked Florida State to get the Sweet 16. She's got Kentucky and Michigan and Villanova and uh, Duke or Kansas, one of the two. So, yeah. reasonable picks, but, that, I mean, there's, there's no there's no use in there's... digging in deep because you come out with a logical answer, but it, it doesn't. It doesn't really matter. Yeah, there's no rhyme or reason to it. But I mean, that's the beauty of the tournament, though. That's why we love this tournament is because of all the upsets that we get. Yeah, it sucks for our brackets, but it's just it's amazing to see all these you know lower seeded teams win. Like I, you know what, Nevada. Here's the thing. The, if I would have picked the exact opposite of everything I picked, that would have been just as good. Yeah. yeah. I had my first twelve. I had my first twelve picks. I was twelve and zero. I was like, God damn, I got a chance to go sixteen and zero. Here, uh, this this first day, I don't think I've ever done that before. And then uh, Arizona loses, and uh, I think Vatek lost, and uh, I had another one uh, go down. Well, my well shit, thirteen and three, I can I can deal with that. And then mm-hmm. Friday was bad, and it all went to hell after that. But hell, if I would have picked the opposite, I would have had just uh, picked Florida State to beat Xavier. Mm-hmm. Uh, pick uh, pick the opposite, and would have been just as just as good. Yeah, I mean, and I can, I could, I totally understand. I mean, Nevada's a little bit out there for an elite eight pick, but we both have talked about Nevada, you know, you know, an exhausting amount of time throughout this season. How much we like them, and you know, the the talent that they have. So I mean, you could see Nevada being Cincinnati, but not the way that Nevada did. You know, it's and not the way they were able to come back against Texas. 
you know, that's the that's the again that's the beauty of this tournament. Or or Houston having a two point lead and sending a guy to the foul line who he just needs to make one free throw. And granted, he he was seven of eight going to the line there. He's a sixty seven percent free throw shooter, so the law of averages worked itself out. Misses both free throws, and then they put no ball pressure on, allow Michigan to get a. Uh, a pass to half court, and there's a guy just standing wide open along like the what the the side of the the three pointer there, and he gets it off, makes it as time expires. Michigan wins 64-63. There's no reason why Houston should have lost that game at all, and yet they do because you know. And I don't get why coaches, and maybe they do, but if I were a head coach in college basketball, I would demand. Maybe that's too strong a word. No, I'll say demand. I would demand that we practice free throws during practice, outside of practice, because what most often do games come down to free throws? I mean, hell, what was Rhode Island against Duke? Like 4-14 at one point from the foul line? It's like, goodness gracious. You know, games come down to, you know, four or five points. You're going to look at the back of the fact that you missed 10 free throws. Say, we just need to make half of these here, and we would be... We would be tied right now, or we would have won. It free throws. It, it's 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 got to come down to free throws. Purdue pressured the inbounds against Butler. Still, Butler. I think it was Purdue and Butler, and they still got a pretty good look at a three. Yep, a little pass half court, but they pressured the inbounds pass, and he couldn't move anyway. So that was very poor decision making by Houston. Uh, Jim Beheim. Uh, fouled Michigan State multiple times at the end with a three-point lead that worked Smart. to perfection. Yes, uh, Michigan State made their free throws. Uh, Syracuse had to make theirs, and they did. So, uh, and Michigan State had a chance to win it at the end too, but uh, a great strategy by him, and it ended up working out. Yeah. Yep. I mean, so you you can tell just. Again, smart coaching decisions versus non-smart coaching decisions. So, uh, no 12s won this year. That's only, a, what, the, yep. I think the fifth time that's ever happened now since they expanded the, the field that no 12s have beaten fives. Uh, we haven't even gotten to South Dakota State yet. I thought when you know, the SDSU was playing very good, you know, that Ohio State made as many threes as they did in that first half, and you're like, oh, my gosh. like This is exactly what SDSU wants them to do, and Ohio State just keeps making these you know, at at a rapid pace, but then they started to go away from that in the second half. But that that huge 16-0 run that Ohio State went on—it's like, okay, crap. Here, you know, it, we're all done here with the Jackrabbits. And then they make. Then what a, happened? A, a, Whatever. And SDSU always makes a run. Yep, they at do. The and they tied up at 70. And Brandon Key played the game of his life. He knocked down three. It, Ohio State dared him to shoot every single three that he made or that he shot, and he made so, what like three of four, four or five. I think it was three of four. He was just phenomenal. Um, and they tied that well, game up at 70. And I, I'm feeling great. I'm saying yes, SDSU has this game. They're going to win. And then what happens? You foul Bates Diop on a three pointer. He makes it. Four-point play, and at that point, it's like, okay, game over. I mean, it, it. we tasted victory for like 10 seconds there, and it's just, uh it's maddening and frustrating because you can, it just always seems to happen. It, it It's deja vu all over again. There's a certain group of folk that go to the 
conference tournament every year that you may know of. Yeah. Uh, they thought it was a phantom foul. The last two fouls. Um, they, uh, obviously, uh, and uh, Dan Beck called me after the game and said, what did you think? I said, those were 100% fouls. That's what I said. Because my, my biggest problem, like, I don't like watching games with those, that group, because the, the complaining about, I mean, they're in the goddamn 20th row, and here they are, not, I, if, if more than two possessions go by without them complaining about a call that was made or a call that wasn't made, that's unusual. So, I mean, the second foul that delivered was on his barrels into the guy once he shoots the ball. You know, Jenkins was, it got him on the arm, it appears, got him on the forearm. Mm-hmm. Um, these, these were fouls. So, there's people like that. It's like, quit, quit complaining about the officials. It's just, they made mistakes at the end like they always do. And anyway, this was their best chance at winning. This was the, uh, this was, I thought, their best chance of winning a game. I thought they could actually win a game. For the first time in the tournament, and they came pretty close. Yep, and they would have but, beat Gonzaga on Saturday. I mean, Gonzaga has been very uh, unimpressive so far in this tournament. They nearly lost to Greensboro on Thursday. I think Greensboro probably would have lost to Gonzaga, but I mean, this was your chance. And Charlie brought up last night that you know, if, you know, Dom's there and Walters is there, and you know, you've had multiple opportunities to win. And uh, Jenkins Jr. looks like he could capable enough of being the next guy. Mm-hmm. God damn, if you get there you know, six times in eight years, yep. you're 12 seed a few times, and they're probably going to be a good 12 seed again next year. Assuming you they gotta win. win one of these. You got to win one of these games. Yep, you do. Oh, yeah. No, absolutely. And that's the, that's the frustrating thing is that they've been here. Uh, I mean, even... We didn't expect them to win against Baylor the first year they made it. They were four, It was a 14-3. But what, did yeah. they have, like a 15-point lead in the first half there? I mean... At CSU? Yeah, against Baylor. Oh, I'll look that up there. I don't know what it was, maybe. Is it, it was a double-digit... It was a double-digit lead at one point in that first half. And I get that, you know, it's, it's highly unlikely that you keep going. But all of a sudden, the offense just goes away. I mean, timeouts that... Not good. Um, by the way, I did watch uh, more of Tennessee Wright State than I thought I would, but I just because I wanted to see Scott Nagy and uh, Nagy, <laughs> Nagy and his squad loses seventy-three to forty-seven. Of the twelve seed, we were the highest on that being New Mexico State. Didn't even give Clemson a game. So what the hell do we know? I guess uh, they lose seventy-nine sixty-eight. Not good. Uh, Auburn. They looked atrocious against Charleston. They looked even worse against Clemson. As uh, Clemson is in the Sweet 16, they'll be taking on Kansas. Uh, but, you know, the first game of the, the tournament was great. Rhode Island over Oklahoma in overtime. Uh, like I say, uh, yes, very good game. Great way to start things out. Uh, Alabama-Virginia Tech, very entertaining game there. Uh, you know, uh, again, Marshall-Wichita State. Uh, the back and forth, you saw you know, Marshall puts up a lot of shots. They had a, a great shot blocker there. And I'll, I'll, I'll say this, I should have picked Marshall in at least one bracket. I did not. But what did, you know, we were talking about this game last week. And I said, okay, I mean, you know Marshall likes to put up a lot of shots. And I said, this is not Wichita State's best defensive team. And 
you know, I think we had said it was because, well, maybe it's not, but the level of competition yeah. is higher. But yes. I, I, I kind of wish I had gone with my, with my gut here, with the uh, with Marshall in at least one bracket because. Uh, Wichita State just did not look the same in in that game. They they could not put Marshall away, and uh, it was just a very un Wichita State like performance. I thought defense was bad. SCSU was up nineteen to seven in the first six minutes. Okay, of that game, and they were down three with eleven and a half to go, and that was as close as they got. So yeah, Wichita State that that sucked. Um, I took I because I wasn't taking Villanova, Texas Tech, or Purdue, and they're all still alive. If I had to change something, I probably would have taken Florida to the Final Four, but that wouldn't have mattered anyway because Florida lost anyway, so it, it mm-hmm. wouldn't have mattered. I took the Bonnies to win a couple. That one's bad. They played terribly. And uh, the way that was the East region ended up. Uh, the South region, that's what I thought would happen with the East. I thought, uh, you know, uh, Texas Tech would lose, uh, Purdue would lose. Remind me to take Baylor to win at least a game or two every year. Baylor wasn't all that great this year, and they damn near beat Purdue. So You mean Butler? Butler as well, yeah. Yeah, uh, yeah Butler's, yeah. You gotta, take, you gotta take Butler to win at least one game. Uh, yeah, yeah. I mean, I didn't think they would pants Arkansas the way they did, uh, but that was rather impressive. And I feel bad for Loyola Chicago because here you have, uh, you know, Sister Jean. They make the they get the game winning shot against Miami. Everyone's all happy, but then like, a few hours later, Buffalo destroys Arizona. So everyone's talking about Buffalo. So Loyola Chicago gets overlooked. Well, what? What happens again then on Saturday? And then you have Friday night. You have UMBC, the darlings of the tournament, just taking down uh, Kansas State. And then Loyola Chicago. Oh, here we go. We're going to, you know, we beat Tennessee again. Everyone's, you know, loving life and everything like that. And then they get uh, overshadowed again by the likes of, you know, like Florida State or, or like Nevada coming back over Cincinnati. It's like people keep forgetting about Sister Jean and Loyola Chicago. I feel bad for them a little bit, but uh, good for Loyola Chicago. They're team. They're that's like the one thing that I can hang my hat on and say yes, Loyola Chicago to the Sweet Sixteen. I had it. I am just gonna in a year full of terrible predictions on my part. Loyola Chicago to the Sweet Sixteen. I'll hang my hat on that and call it a day. I think they're the story of the tournament outside of the big upset. Chicago. Very good. Very good. Why do you say that? Just because they're uh, with, with the old lady. And uh, what they haven't been there in, since 85. Yep. So they've only been there twice uh, when there's been 16 seats around. I think they made the Sweet 16 33 years ago. And uh, the way they won the games, last second shots. And I think they've been the story of the tournament for me. So, and they're a good team. Yes, they are. Yes, they are. Uh, there's, a, there's a reason why they're in 11 seed. Uh, so, what you have here in the South, it's uh, the eight, uh, the nine seed Kansas State Wildcats against the number five seed Kentucky Wildcats. Uh, then the bottom half of the South, it's Loyola Chicago against Nevada. The this is played on, I believe, what Thursday here. What do we, who do we like in uh, 
coming out here. When we're talking next week, who's making it to the Final Four out of the South? Like the second weekend, things usually go back to normal a little bit. Um, like you like Kentucky. Yep. Like Kentucky to win that. We like Kentucky to, to reach the Final Four. Uh, Nevada, Loyola, Nevada's a point and a half favorite. I gotta say, I kind of favor Nevada in this one. I would. I, don't, I, I really don't care who wins this game. I'm good with either one. I think Nevada uh, would give Kentucky more of a game. Probably. I mean, I would love to see Loyola Chicago reach the final. Yes, that would be great. Fantastic. That'd be incredible. I'll pick. I'll pick Nevada. I guess Nevada. Okay. Um, I have Nevada against Kentucky in the Elite Eight. I will reluctantly put Kentucky in the Final Four, though I, I hope it does not it's a happen. hard road. It's like the hard road for them. Beating Buffalo, beating Kansas State. Yeah. Beating yeah. whoever the hell they played. Uh, Davidson the in the first round. Davidson first round. Yeah. It, it's rough. Such it's, a difficult road for Calipari. Such yeah. a tough road. Not, none of the top four seeds made it to the Sweet 16 in the South. Just think about that for a second. You have a first time ever. A 9, a 5, an 11, and a 7. That's first time ever. insane. And it very well could happen right now that a 7 seed or lower makes it to the Final Four, which would be, I think, the 5th or 6th cool. straight year it's happened. So, yeah. I, I mean, just... For the record, it, it, it's likely to happen out of the South. Uh, obviously, if Kentucky doesn't make it, then it will happen. But uh, in the West, then, you're going to have Florida State, the 9 seed, against the 4 seed Gonzaga Bulldogs. Number 3 seed Michigan against the number 7 seed Texas A&M. Uh, I got to say, Michigan's been very unimpressive to me so far this tournament. I think I might be going on the A&M wagon here, though that's probably jinxing them, so I apologize to... The uh, Aggie fans out there, and uh, Aggie, Aggie. Aggie. <laughs> and uh, give me Gonzaga over Florida State. Uh, if it's a Gonzaga Texas A&M or Gonzaga Michigan, it, Gonzaga Michigan is a is a toss up to me. I I could see either one of those happening. If it's A&M against Gonzaga, I might ride with A&M. Here. No, I'll, I'll go Gonzaga. I, I will I just think overall they're the better squad. So it would be a, a very miraculous Final Four run for the Zags. I said if Michigan was in any other bracket, I would have taken them to the Final Four. As you said, they have played terribly through the first two games. Uh, A&M was very good. They played very well against Carolina. I like Gonzaga. I don't know, A&M and they, they started off gangbusters. They beat uh, West Virginia to to start the year, and they, they, uh, they had almost beat Arizona. They had uh, some good uh, good wins there, mm-hmm. and they started 0-5 in conference, and uh, it seemed like they're, they're uh, peaking at a good time. I'll still take Michigan to win this whole thing, though. Nova, I mean, the second-half performance – that they put on against Alabama was absolutely incredible. D'Incenzo was great in the first half. Uh, you got uh, what uh, Michael Bridges in the second half draining threes from all over. Uh, phenomenal stuff there by Nova. They look to be really good this year. Uh, they're going to take on West Virginia. This is in the East region. By the way, South region's played in Atlanta. West region's played in L.A. 
East is being played in Boston, Midwest is in Omaha. One of these things does not belong, and it sounds like it's Omaha. Uh, but how dare you? How dare you, Smirch? <laughs> Uh, people of uh, it's, no, I just I'm just saying between you know it, you got it, it's funny because on the bracket it says Atlanta it does not have Georgia by it Los Angeles does not have CA by it Boston does not have MA by it by Omaha it says Nebraska NEB so all of those places of all of those places where would you want to live uh no question Omaha there you it's just funny to me though that they have to put Nebraska. By it. Like, no one else knows where Omaha is. Dumb. Dumb regionals. We know where the regionals Omaha. We know where Omaha is. We know where it's at. So, in the East, Nova against West Virginia. West Virginia has... Uh, if this... If I knew West Virginia was going to play this well through two games, I would have taken them into the Sweet 16, maybe even beating Nova in a bracket or two. But based on how they looked down the stretch during the season... It, it was hard for me to, to justify taking them a long ways. But against uh, Villanova, I give West Virginia a pretty good chance. Overall, though, I will take Villanova. And then Texas Tech against Purdue. If Isaac Haas can somehow play with that fractured elbow, it sounds like Purdue's got, you know, they're, they're asking their, you know, their engineering department there to, to come up with some sort of sleeve for him. Uh, Matt Painter, the head coach, says, yeah, it's probably not going to happen. But, as it stands, I'm going to take Texas Tech over Purdue. But if Haas can play, that is a great equalizer, and I might favor Purdue. But I will take Texas Tech against Villanova, and I'll take Nova over Tech to reach the Final Four. Villanova is the best team I've seen all year. I think they win the whole thing. I hate this Texas Tech-Purdue game. I hate this with a passion. God, I got... I hope the Q's can keep it close against Duke because I sure as hell don't want to watch goddamn Purdue play Texas Tech in a basketball game. Jesus Christ. Well, I, well, the, Jesus Christ. well, I mean, oh, well, I mean, what, is, what does Syracuse have to do with it, though? Because that game's out at the same time. And oh, they got sure, okay, okay, Duke, I got what you're saying. God forbid Duke beats the shit out of Syracuse, like, probably by 30 points, and like, well, it's either watching that or... I mean, Texas Tech Purdue should be a fine basketball game, but goddamn both of them, goddamn yeah. both of them. Yeah. Uh, I'll take I'll take Texas Tech. Uh, but we both have Nova getting to the East or out of the East. I have Nova winning the whole thing. Yep. Okay. Uh, Kansas against Clemson. In I mean, Kansas has not looked great through two games. Clemson's looked very good, but I think if you're going to compare the two. If Clemson had their their star player there, I think he tore his ACL back in uh, what January or early February. I might say that Clemson's got a chance, but I think Kansas uh, just too much. And then Syracuse against Duke. I mean, the, the the mere fact that we're talking about Syracuse, which by the way, next year we have to say uh, one playing team is going to win at least a game and, in the tournament. That's I happened had Steve Bonaventure doing that, and they sure as hell didn't do it. I know, I know, I had him too. Uh, you know, I guess we have to always ride with the Q's. Uh, the Q's, take the Q's and win a couple. I just don't see them beating Duke. Duke's playing really well right now. They're familiar with the 2-3 zone, so it's not going to affect them. I think Duke rolls over Syracuse in that game, which sets up Kansas against Duke. And I don't like picking either of these teams because I don't like either of them, but I will take Duke over Kansas. 
it was 60 to 44 a couple of weeks ago between Duke and Syracuse. Yummy. Yum. That's great. Uh, that sounds fantastic. Oh, Clemson beats Kansas. I'm going to pick Clemson to beat Kansas. I don't like Kansas. I don't think they're very good. And uh, Duke, Duke, Villanova, Final Four. That's that's good. That's a good little deal right there. It is. Uh, I like Duke over Duke over Clemson. Beat all the ACC teams again. You know, for all of the, for all of the upsets that have happened, you know, or, or you know, with Cincinnati bowing out early and Xavier and Virginia, all these all these big name UNC getting trounced. All these big name programs here, you know, high seeds that we were hoping to see in the Final Four that we aren't. How lucky would college basketball be with the NCAA be if they somehow got Kentucky, Gonzaga, or Michigan, and then Villanova and Duke? That would be a solid Final Four. The left side of the bracket was insane. The right side was normal. I think that's probably what's going to happen. You'll get your big power schools in there. Yeah. Fantastic stuff there. So that's the Any other thoughts regarding the NCAA tournament? Like you've got, you know, Villanova or Duke. Man. Like, is there any other team on that left side that can win it? Like, there's there's no... It seems like another year where, like, Villanova-Duke is, like, the national title game, even though it's the Final yep. Four. Like, there, there's no other team on that other side that excites me. No. Like, I would love to see Chicago in there or Nevada in there. Mm-hmm. But there's like Michigan. If Michigan can step it up, that would be preferable. If A and M can keep playing this way, that would be great. But right now in this tournament, you've got what uh, maybe four or five best teams left in the tournament, all on the right side. Yeah, I would. I mean, Michigan when they're playing well, I think is. But if you're look, I guess if you're looking at how they're all playing right now. Duke, Villanova, yes. West Virginia's playing great. Yep. Kansas is uh, not playing great, but they're Kansas. They got Texas Tech and Purdue just getting by. They yep. both won barely. But uh, I think they're better than whatever's on that left side. Oh, yeah. Well, I mean, without question. Um, yeah. and Yeah. No, I, I, I agree. I, I agree with that wholeheartedly. So, uh, Sweet 16 Elite Eight this uh, this week, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. We'll, we'll break down that action coming up um, next week preview the final four I mean uh, sorry go ahead uh, three and a half million people watched Friday night Virginia lose and that was the most watched game uh, that day three and a half million people how, how have the ratings been I haven't looked I guess yet for this year how, how have the ratings been overall I think they've been fine I don't know if they're up or down a little I think they are normal I think there's no big drastic ups or downs from what I have read. Good. So it uh, appears to be fine. Good. I'm glad the FBI didn't affect uh, the ratings here. Uh, yes. FBI's got other stuff to worry about. Anyway, that, but that they're not doing anything right now. Having said all that. Uh, yeah. Um, yeah, fine. <laughs> I mean... We're up a little bit, down a little bit. Um, maybe look like 5 million watch one of the nights that this goddamn thing would ever come up. Uh, five million people watched. And then was this? And it's fine. It's, it's fine. Yep. Yep. Ratings have been good. And that's, that's all we can ask for. This is a great tournament. And plus it's spread out over four different channels. You can stream it online. It's great stuff. 
as always. Uh, should mention on the women's tournament here, uh, a couple of 11 seeds won Monday night, uh, trouncing three seeds like Ohio State and Florida State. Well, Central Michigan and who's who's the 11 seed that beat uh, Florida State? Either way, uh, women's tournament's got some upsets in there. Friday night, I, Villanova put on an absolute shooting display, a shooting bonanza against SDSU in the first quarter there. I, I got to think that uh, Coach Johnston, Aaron Johnston and, and company, weren't ex- they weren't expecting Villanova to be that red hot from beyond the arc that early in the game. You know, it's like it's two teams that played the same. So there's the potential for that to happen. And I somehow SDSU forced overtime. They made three threes. Villanova made 16. I don't know how. Yeah, that you looked at that. Yeah, I saw that stat. What it was like? Villanova was like thirteen to thirty-three, and SDC was two of eleven at one point. I think it's just yeah. uh, it's amazing because SDSU thrives by shooting you know threes. So for them to only have eleven, I I mean it wasn't the mere fact that Villanova was thirteen to thirty-three. It was more the fact that SDSU had only attempted eleven. To me, that was the biggest surprise of it all. And the Madison Gebert's three, the bank in at the end. Phenomenal shot there. That's a shot that I'll remember for a while now. Ultimately, it, I don't know if it was just too much energy exuded to to get to overtime there against Villanova. They ultimately lose. It's disappointing because I thought that this is a team that not only should have beat Villanova, but I think would have given Notre Dame a game to a degree. Um, but. I, that's a shot that you will remember, I think, for a while for, for SDSU fans who watch that that game and just remember, you know, some of the greatest shots that we've seen. Madison Gieberts will be up there, I believe. They played so bad. They played so goddamn bad. Yeah. Um, and then they still almost won. Oh, yeah, very disappointing. they got to win a couple games next year or else you're going to waste the best player you've ever had. So that's, uh, again, disappointing. Also, Dan Beck said, like, he, he's not a Viking fan, but he understands what it is to be a Viking fan watching South Dakota State Athletics. So, I'm, I'm, I'm obviously not as wrapped up in it as he is. Uh, but that's that's what he thinks that's about That's why it. he went and, on the beercation this last weekend down in Omaha. Right. Biggest goddamn weekend of the year. Let's go drink some fucking beer in Omaha. Nebraska. Yes, 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 yes. Very important that we point out where Omaha's at. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, they just played so bad. So goddamn bad. It was so disappointing. Uh, and, again, give me an 11 seed. Yep. Please. Well, you had Central Michigan go on. Yep. Yeah, the other 11 seed, Buffalo. Yes, Buffalo. Buffalo go on. I would have much preferred an 11 seed than an 8. Yeah, I mean, it's so weird because Charlie Cream didn't even have him as an 8 seed. So, I mean... That's where it kind of baffles me as well. Is yes, we we want SCSU to gain that that national respect, and I think for the most part the women have. But you know the seeding is so odd. I I I think odd is the only way that you could possibly put it. Like to me, if you win the Mountain West, now granted I haven't looked at the RPIs, you know the, the conference RPIs and everything like that. But to me, the women? yeah, the women. To me, if you if I win the Mountain West Conference, I sh- and I have a, a record above five hundred, 
I don't think it should be a 16 seed. Like Boise State. Well, what happened here? Boise State was a Boise 16 State seed against 16. Louisville. So I'm I, a candor here. So I need again. I need to see kind of what conference RPI was. What Boise State's schedule is like if they really, you know, fell behind early and then kind of like SDSU last year, they won some more games at the end and in the tournament ended up getting above 500. But I just don't get the seeding in the women's tournament. It it oh. it boggles my mind. I mean, how Quinnipiac can get a nine seed and. You know, some of these. Are American East, or where were they at? Quinnipiac is in the MAC, the MAAC. Ah, MAC is the 28th worst, or the fifth worst conference. The MAC is in Quinnipiac. What a 27 and 5. Their RPI is 37. Uh, strength of schedule is 134. And what they get, an 8? A 9 seed. A 9 seed. You got Boise, who appeared to be like the fourth best team out of the Mountain West. Their RPI is 111. Strength of schedule, 191. Like, you look at, you know, the, the, the MEACs and the SWACs on the men's side, their RPIs are, like, in the 200s. Mm-hmm. Like, Oklahoma, Oklahoma made the tournaments. Yeah. They're two games over 500. Uh, like, like Minnesota was the, the fourth best team in the Big Ten, and, and they're, like, their RPI is not good. And I didn't think, like, if it came down to them or SDSU for that large, I don't think there's any comparison. And right. they get, uh, would they get a 10 seed? Yeah, and I know they were... Green Bay got a 7, Green Bay lost to Minnesota. Not, uh, not good. I, I, so that's, I guess, uh, the whole crux of the... The problem here is that I, I just don't understand the seeding on the women's side. Like, it, it's great that SDSU gets that high of a seed. Like, yeah, you, you're obviously paying attention. But then we shouldn't even be talking about them being a last, you know, one of the last four in. They should be safely in if they hadn't beat USD in the conference tournament. But, I mean, for, for Charlie Cream to have them as an 11 seed or a 10, and then they get an 8, there's just a wide disparity there. And I just, I, I guess I don't get how all the seeding works to me if you're like i say if you're in the mountain west and i don't unless you are under 500 i don't see how you should get a 16 seed and i mean i haven't looked into it to see all right of it, so you might like you but, but i'm being three seats off for sgsu i mean that's terrible that's terrible yeah it, it is it and it yeah i i just don't get it so Unfortunately, SDSU like, bas- Yeah, go ahead. But it wasn't Syracuse well out of the tournament when Narnie had him maybe on his second four outs, maybe? Yes. Yep. And they were in the tournament as an 11th seed. Yep. So it's, uh, I mean, these guys are just guys. I, I try and figure it out, but sometimes they're very poorly wrong. I, but I think this year, though, on the men's side, the bubble was so large, and you had so many different teams that you could make an argument for. I, I'm fine with whatever teams got. Yeah, I, like, I had a bigger problem, I guess, with Oklahoma not being in the play-in game because of how bad they were down the stretch. But, I mean, I would have loved to see Middle Tennessee State get in. They didn't. Uh, you know, I would have liked to see them get in over a Syracuse or a in Arizona State. But, I mean, the bubble was so big this year that there's, I guess, 
you can make an argument for some teams, but I, I you can make an um, argument for every team, and you can only take four of them. So I'm, I'm fine with how that all went. I guess. Go back to 64 teams. We don't need 60 fucking eight. Go <laughs> well, back to 64. All that it's money. Excellent. All that money that Dayton would lose. They sure as hell didn't expand the women's tournament. They left that same. Leave it the way it was. Sucks. Very good. Any other thoughts regarding NCAA tournament? It's always good. It's always fun. Again, once the first weekend's done, I'm sad because that's uh, the most fun thing. And there's a couple more basketball games left, and then we'll see. We'll see if they're any good. Yep. Hopefully they will be. Like you say, we have some teams like Loyola, Chicago, and Nevada. Only one of those teams will survive. But uh, we'll see if A&M can do it. Um, I guess Loyola and Nevada is the game I'm most excited for because they're, they're two Probably. teams that I like, uh, that, I, that I'm cheering for this tournament. Uh, so it sucks that one of them is going to have to get knocked out. See who wins the national championship there. Uh, Final four is in San Antonio in a couple weeks. Tournament of national champion. SDSU does the... Minneapolis next year. Minneapolis next year. Look out, folks. We're yeah. coming. And it's late next year, too. It's the 6th and the 8th. I mean, that's that's great. I like it when... What is going on? I like when March Madness is late into March. Get that what it's, the hell are they doing? It's too, it's too early this year. March 31st, April 2nd. Yeah, get it out of here. SDSU does have a national champion, though. It is in wrestling, and it belongs to Mr. Seth Gross, who won in his uh, respective weight class over the weekend at the uh, wrestling tournament there in uh, in Cleveland at Quicken Loans Arena at the Q. Uh, so congratulations to him. I'm. How big of a deal is this? I think it's a very big deal. I think it's a relatively big deal as well. Uh. But just in in terms of the grand scheme of things, how big is it overall? Because SDSU's wrestling attendance this year was great. They averaged, what, like 2,600 people to come to Foster? Goddamn amazing. I mean, it, it was goddamn amazing. It, it was. It was absolutely amazing, the, the attendance. And what uh, head coach Chris Bono has done to to get this program up from essentially the dead. I mean, this was a... T- program in the ruts and he's making them a national contender they won i mean they went through big 12 play like it was nothing this year they have fantastic and gross is going to be able to come back and wrestle again because he was a junior this year he's a senior next year so he can see if he can defend his title but just overall what does this do for sdsu i don't know what I guess I don't know wrestling? how to quantify it, Krenz. I don't know if I quantify it with just regarding wrestling or just overall to South Dakota State athletics in general. How big of a deal is this? Means WrestleMania is going to be in Omaha. Oh my God! Wrong wrestling. Uh, Wrong wrestling. Like if, if you had to rest when we were there, and there, I mean, it was I so so very much did not look forward to doing anything with wrestling because they were so. Bad. You didn't want to do the Daktronics Warren Williamson invitation? Oh, fuck. I didn't, but I did. Fucking the, the day after Hobo Day. What a fun goddamn time that was. Because <laughs> they're so bad. They were so bad. Yeah. And now, like, besides, I mean, they're the fourth biggest sport. I mean, they, they outdraw the, I mean, they're, uh, attendance-wise, they might be number two behind football. They're probably number four. I mean, you couldn't get a hundred people to go to a wrestling thing, and 
I'm intrigued to maybe even go to one one of these days if they're playing in Iowa or Oklahoma State or whoever. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're arguably the best team in the Big 12. They, they finished, I think, 12th in the, in the nation. They were number 12 in the, in the country for the uh, team for team participation in, in the uh, championships uh, last weekend. Uh, they, they what they won the conference, mm-hmm. and that's amazing. It is. They told the wrestling conference, and for them to go to probably the one of the worst teams in, in Division One to now being a top ten team, that's insanity. That is incomprehensible to me. Like they're they're taking on Oklahoma. They're beating Oklahoma. They're beating Wyoming. They're they're beating everybody. I, Iowa State, West Virginia, NDSU. Bring them on. They beat the hell out of them. Now this is good for wrestling overall, and it means that they're going to get some, you know, better wrestlers, some more, you know. I don't. I mean, obviously, you have a national champion in Seth Gross, but when we've seen, you know, the Roderts of the world and and all these guys come through, so you're going to get better wrestlers to come to this, uh, to come to SDSU. Hopefully, and you know, the spotlight's on the wrestling program here. But I guess. How big of a deal is this overall? Like a national championship for Alabama football, that does a lot for a university. You know, we can even say North Dakota State with all their national championships. Or I always look at March Madness like a win does so much for a program. UMBC's site crashed on Friday because everyone was talking about. They're talking about maybe you know new dorms. It just number of people that are going to come to UMBC now just because. A, they were a 16 seed that knocked off a one seed in Virginia. So I always think that a singular win it for in March Madness is greater than almost anything else that you can achieve, especially for a, for a smaller school. For Duke, it's going to be a national championship. Kentucky, national championship. UNC, national championship. But for some of these smaller schools, a win in the NCAA tournament is the biggest thing that they could possibly do to raise their school's profile. What does this do for South Dakota State in terms of their profile and then also just the, the athletic department as a whole? Does it does it help at all in that regard? It, obviously, it helps some, but how much? How, how do we quantify that? Like outside of wrestling, it doesn't really matter when I mean, it's not on that level. But in the wrestling community, it's a big deal. They also had two other All-Americans. You have to finish in the top eight to be an All-American. So they had three All-Americans, and they're a borderline top 10 wrestling program. Uh, you look at like Penn State and Ohio State, they're just monsters uh, of, of like Penn State is just, you know, in a, in a league of their own. Mm-hmm. And uh, like what SDSU is right on that, you know, of like being a top 10 wrestling uh, program. And that's pretty, I mean, there's not a ton of wrestling schools out there. There's, you know, a, a few dozen. But goddamn, that's, uh, that's impressive from where they were. And, uh, yeah. yeah, they had three All-Americans. Their coach is unbelievable. Why he came in the first place, not a clue, but he's turned it around, and he's amazing in all aspects. Mm-hmm. And uh, great social media, Twitter stuff, and videos out there that people should watch if they haven't. So, yeah, so to compete with the Nebraskas and the Minnesotas and the Iowas of the world, I mean, that's, in the wrestling community, that's, that's a big deal. Well, again, congratulations to Seth Gross, uh, Head coach Chris Bono and the entire SDSU wrestling program there. Very good, and I can't wait to see what they do. Because they certainly made me interested in wrestling and how they do. I mean, I'll go to gojacks.com and take a look at everything, uh, their schedule, results, see who won and whatnot. So it's great to see they've definitely 
gotten me more intrigued here with their program. So that's great. Um, anything else going on that we haven't really discussed? I mean, Tyron Lou, Cavaliers head coach, he's stepping away for a week to, to get his health underway. Uh, any baseball news that we're missing out on? Free agencies uh, alive and well here in the NFL. Kirk Cousins has his deal, so that's that's great. Sheldon Richardson's with the Vikings now, but uh, anything else that we're missing? Uh, twin shortstop Jorge Polanco's been suspended 80 games. Yeah, good for him. That the uh, dumbass decision there. It's I mean people were a bit like it's not good, but it like he would be like he's the worst of the position players. So if like if you had to pick a guy to be suspended, he would be the guy you would pick. But I don't think it's a I don't think it matters much. I think the Twins are going to be a game worse or a game better because he's not there. So okay. I don't think it's a huge deal. I'm not. I've, I've seen some comments. Oh my God! It's like I don't care. Um, if they're going to suspend Miguel Sano, I would like them to do it fairly quickly because there's 10 days left until the season starts. So I'd like to know this uh, the week before the season starts. All right. So baseball starts Thursday. Uh, Jose Altuve got a lot of money, 150 yes, million dollars. Uh, Kirk Cousins. Any thoughts on Kirk Cousins? I think it's uh, three years, eighty-four million. Yep. I, uh, good all, all guaranteed. I like the I like the short-term deal aspect of this. Um, I I'm glad he didn't. I'm glad he didn't sign for more. Or that the Vikings didn't pay more money to him. So uh, I, if he's if he's really the guy, I I'm going to be very curious to see what numbers, what sort of numbers he'll put up this year. That compared to what Keenum did last year. Turnovers especially is what I'm looking at, but I get that there's a different offensive coordinator in there. And this John Filippo seems to be you know, kind of the real deal when it comes to you know working with quarterbacks. Look what he did with Nick Foles last year in leading the Eagles to the Super Bowl. There, So I'm, I'm curious regarding that. I like the Sheldon Richardson deal. Uh, one year, $8 million, $11 million guaranteed, or with incentives up to $11 million. Did you see that... Uh, Teddy Bridgewater has really only gotten a contract with the Jets, five hundred thousand dollars guaranteed, but he can make up to fifteen million. So I don't know what, I don't know what the Jets are necessarily doing there because they're getting Josh McCown and then they trade up from the number six spot to the number three spot in the draft. Are you drafting a quarterback there? Do do you hope that Saquon Barkley falls in your lap at three? I think that's certainly a possibility. Um, though I would have thought. He, Saquon would go number one to the Browns, but then they they sign Carlos Hyde. So does that take them out of the mix? I don't. I really. I I don't know. It, it's fascinating. However, the one thing then that uh, Rick Spielman did that I was a little shocked at at first. I was like, why the hell would you do this? They traded for Trevor Simeon, quarterback from the Denver Broncos. Denver, of course, signed Case Keenum. Uh, but looking at the deal, yeah, I think it's like one point two. Nine or one uh, less than one and a half million dollars that they owe Trevor Simeon this year under his contract. They had to give up a 2019 fifth round pick, and they got I think a seventh rounder from the Broncos this year. So I think Trevor Simeon is a more than capable enough backup quarterback to Kirk Cousins. And when I was reading uh, Monday Morning Quarterback uh, the, with Peter King there on Sports Illustrated, I know he's your buddy. But um, apparently they sh- they share the same agent, so that helps. Um, so I guess it makes a lot of sense. And if you only have to give up a fifth round pick for a backup quarterback who's going to make less than what you would have had to pay to keep Teddy Bridgewater, 
I guess I'm okay with that. I really am. I would have preferred Ted. Like, if Ted's going somewhere to be a third stringer for the Jets, I mean, he should have stayed with Minnesota. I agree. I think, And that's a dumb decision on his part. I don't think that's anything Teddy. to do with the Vikings. Teddy, you're stupid, Teddy. I feel for you. Um, I mean, Trevor Simeon is the same as Case Keenum, so they got they replaced Keenum with the same quarterback they got last year. Like you look at you, you look at their numbers, they are it's ridiculous how they're the same from Keenum last year um, coming into the season with uh, and then Simeon this year. It's ridiculously like within one of this, one of that. So that's really close. So yeah, he's he's a I wouldn't want him to be the starter, but as a backup for a couple games, that, that's a pretty good get. And I think it's been we, a eight, great off season. Yes, yes, and again, getting Sheldon Richardson, a, an upgrade over uh, uh, Tom Johnson. Uh, well, I like Tom Johnson, but he's just better. Uh, Latavius Murray gets his contract restructured, so it saves the Vikings some cap space. Makes Latavius a free agent at the end of the year. That's fine because the Vikings will just get another running back in. They do cut Jarius Wright, save some money there. I uh, would like I would like to see him get back, but it sounds like he's going to go to Carolina. So, uh, for whatever that's worth. So yeah, a great great start, and I do expect that the Vikings will do some wheeling and dealing in the draft, and I believe they are going to try and target Billy Price, the offensive lineman from Ohio State. He tore his peck at the Combine. So if they can pick him up in the second round, I would be more than willing to let a quarterback-hungry team jump up to get Lamar Jackson or Mason Rudolph. Because I do think the trade for Trevor Simeon puts Minnesota out of the quarterback market entirely in this uh, draft. Because they do have Kyle Slaughter or Slaughter, however you say his last name, uh, as the third string. So I, I, I don't see them going after a quarterback in the draft, which is fine. I'm... I'm Perfectly, I'm perfectly content with that. Yeah, offensive line. Uh, they need a, another running back. Tubes. If Darius Geis fell to them at thirty, would you take him? No. No. Okay. I think like a third, fourth round guy. Okay. Very good. We'll be talking plenty more draft here. Uh, in the days and weeks to come, uh, actually we coming move up. the draft. We move the draft to like March first. Get that done. Huh. Same, same, same day as the combine. Get it done. Combine in the afternoon. Draft at night. <laughs> Not a bad idea. Not a bad idea. Speaking of draft, uh, we will be talking. Uh, not NFL draft, I guess, but combine thoughts and uh, pro days with uh, Jeff Lloyd, the second coming up here uh, later on in the podcast. But anything else you have before we say so long? Uh, my combine thoughts, my dad uses an old gleaner uh, for the beans and corn. It's not uh, the newest of machines, but it's fine. Very good. Anything else sports-related that uh, we need to get to? Uh, the baseball, I'm very excited second about the baseball. you got no idea how excited I am about the baseball. Scale uh, apparently, of... I know, and you as well, very excited. Yes. Uh, apparently, I, we should probably do a baseball preview next week because the season starts soon three days when we'll talk next so that's, that's, that's yeah pro- so ba- baseball preview and sweet 16 thought or final four thoughts next week maybe we'll do like a split like half base like 
AL preview next week, and then the NL. Oh, that, I have it. You gotta split it up to, to a degree. Well, we'll figure it out. Uh, but uh, baseball preview next week. Get excited! I already know my playoff team, so. Uh, the, 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 the plan is for the baseball podcast is to do approximately six hours of previews. We're gonna break it up in uh, one. We're gonna do a, a preview for every division. And hopefully we can maybe get 45 minutes to an hour from each division. But the plane in the next couple of weeks. Are you getting Tim Kirkjian or Pedro Gomez on at all? Jason Stark? Well, uh, we'll we'll see what we can do here, maybe. Ken Rosenthal? Get some, maybe, maybe get some people, we'll see. Um, And who do you do this with again? For the Evan Hendershot. There? Evan Hendershot. There you go. That's the guy's name. For the people out there. For all the people. Uh, basketball state titles were decided Saturday. Uh, Aberdeen Central won for the girls. They have a player named Peyton Burkhart. Uh, she's going to play for SDSU next year. Good. Um, is this a good? Is this a good, good recruit? Yeah, she should be pretty good. She's probably the best player in the state, I would think. So Peyton, Peyton Burkhart, I think Maya Sellen is the next, you know. Macy Miller? Macy, well, once Macy and, and Gebert, you know, go away, that's going to be Sellen is going to be the, I think she'll win player of the year in the conference. All right. Um, and I do like Irwin from Wapaton. Yep. And Tegan Larson. So yep. he's, he's done it again. Just restock the shelves, and uh, um, it to be interesting to see how Peyton Burkhart does. Again, she like all these other players. Got like good size, six six one, can do everything. So maybe maybe she could be another another great potentially potentially. Right. I haven't seen enough of her, but I mean she's I mean she was the player of the year in the state, so that's good. Very good. Looking forward already to basketball SDSU basketball next year. Grins, I thank you so much for the time as always, and uh, we'll chat next week, my friend. All right, we'll see you. Travis Crins, join us here at Sports Block Podcast. Appreciate his time and perspective as always. Great stuff there. You can find this podcast available online. Just search the Sports Block on iTunes. Also, follow me on Twitter at uh, ND Stacken. Otherwise, on Facebook, Nathan Stacken. Uh, have the. Uh, podcast posted later in the middle, middle of the later part of the week per usual um yeah bracket didn't go so hot uh for picks and whatnot but uh we'll see, you know when we do a mock draft we'll see how many we can get right there we've had our fair share of success in years past we won't be doing the mock draft for a few weeks but coming up next we do have jeff lloyd the second from lockdown browns podcast to uh to talk about the Combine, also some thoughts on some recent pro days, including Baker Mayfield and Josh Rosen, Oklahoma and UCLA. That's coming up next here. This is the Sports Block Podcast. It's been a few days since, well, more than a few days since the Combine uh, ended in Indianapolis, but our good friend Jeff Lloyd II from uh, Locked On Browns Podcast is here to recap it all, plus a couple of pro days. Jeff, how are you doing? Nathan, uh, you know, here we are now, I guess it's, what, uh, 41 days away, so, uh, you know, we're starting to almost get to, you know, 
really nothing left to hear now, except, you know, I mean, obviously still some pro days, but uh, you got to make sure that we don't get anybody who does a buffoonish move, uh, gets himself a DWI or something like this in the next 40 or something days. But as far as, you know, testing numbers, I mean, there really isn't much left. It's just now, you know, kind of see who's going to slot in where. I believe that the uh, the the real winner of the combine had to be what uh, Shaquem Griffin from uh, Central Florida. Is that right? I mean, he blew people away with his workout, uh, and considering he wasn't even like he was the last, uh, he received his request or invitation kind of last minute, or was one of the last ones to receive an invite. So uh, that was a, a tremendous story and fun to watch as the combine went on. Yeah, it's actually it's been funny. It's been fun to cover him um, because. You know, as far as you know, you know with him and, and being able to do you know the twenty reps on the bench press and being able to do it with a prosthetic, you know, early when we we're doing the sh- you know doing shows and it was talking about that, I, I thought he was maybe going more of like the Jason Pierre Paul route because obviously, I mean, that's the only guy you can kind of get a gauge with what Griffin goes through is Pierre Paul, obviously with his you know the hand injury he suffered with sure. the fireworks, and you, you saw how he was working out his chest and he was doing a lot more of like pulling exercises and stuff like that. And then someone actually, you know, had mentioned to me, like, nah, he's going to bench pretty well. He, he does use a prosthetic, prosthetic to do it. And, you know, to figure, that, I mean, they throw up 20 reps. I mean, you know, burn up a you know, 40 under 4-4, four, four, just everything else. And the thing is, you know, I mean, the kid is just an engaging personality. It's just, you know, he lights up the room. You know, some people were trying to say, oh, well, he only met with the Seattle Seahawks. It's, it's misconstrued. You don't need to meet with a Shaquan Griffin at the Combine. Because you know what he is. He's the genuine, real deal. There's nothing phony there. So you don't need to waste one of those 20 visits that you have while you're in Indy on a guy like him. You know, if you have your interest, you're going to bring him in and sit down with him fully. But as far as, you know, everything else, I mean, everybody kind of knows the kid. He's a national story. And, you know, just a great kid. I mean, just something you can't be happier for. And there's some people that really aren't sure where to put him. But I think now it's, it's more of a, look, that's a guy I want on my roster. You know, it, it's funny though too because you look at the combine and you know the the drills and everything that they do. You know, the forties, the bench press, everything like that. You know, sometimes I think teams can you know get too caught up in those numbers, and a player's draft stock can rise or fall in large part depending on how those numbers run out. I mean, t- to a point, couldn't you look at the film that Griffin put on at Central Florida and say, yeah, this guy can really play? Why did it take the combine for people to really realize just how good he is? I don't think I, I don't think people were expecting a sub 4-4 four, four, 40 time. Okay. And the thing with Griffin is, is you know, you had, he most of his career in Central Florida, he played in the secondary. Then they moved him up closer to the ball. I mean, you know, they liked the burst. You know, they thought he'd be able to, you know, do some things in the pass rush game, which he did. I mean, he, he absolutely gave Auburn an absolute fit. So you're talking, you know, granted his team plays in the AAC, but, uh, you know, Auburn in the SEC, you know, took down Alabama this year. I mean, he gave them all they could handle and more. Uh, you know, probably going to portray as a linebacker in the NFL. Um, but you have a guy now who has pass rush ability. You have a guy who can drop into coverage. He's shown he can do that. Uh, and I just, I don't think anybody was expecting that kind of workout. And, you know, there is, obviously, it's tough to, I mean, you can't escape the fact that, you know, obviously he's missing a hand. You just can't escape that. Right. But but it helps that every other box is checked. And that's what the most important thing was for him, is he came in as a kid. Obviously, now, if he can do the 20 reps with a prosthetic, you know what kind of work I think you have. When he runs a sub-440, you know what kind of athlete he is. You know what kind of burst he's got. So, I mean, just, you know, it's a guy now that a lot of people are just, you know, I'm not really sure what I'm going to do with him, but when I get him here, I'll, I'll know what I'm going to do. 
on the flip side, uh, you have the what the Oklahoma lineman and the sorry the names escaping me. The last name's Brown, right? Uh, the, or, Orlando, Orlando, Orlando Brown. Yep, Orlando Brown. Like I remember his father, and you know getting yep. you know getting the flag thrown in his eye when he was with the Cleveland Browns and everything. He didn't do that well on the bench press, uh, and that seemed to really raise a lot of red flags for at least draft analysts. I have to assume some teams were kind of in that field as well but then you have you know Baker Mayfield saying well just look at what he did on film and everything so how uh how would you rate uh where he's at now after the combine it certainly he didn't raise his profile but uh, if any he certainly probably heard it more he he had a better pro day this week so uh that helps him but the biggest thing is when you go to the combine and you do not do well First thing the team are drawing, and the first thing that comes to them is it's not even so much a question about your football ability, your athletic ability. It's about well, what kind of guy are you? I mean, once you declare that you're going pro, that date is circled. You know when your workout is. Yep. You know, did you put every ounce of effort into it? And you know, it's a question of you know. And I mean, he improves one of his jumps by seven inches. I think he put put up four more reps on the bench press. So it makes you wonder, you know, did you not put all the effort in that was required for what was the biggest, you know, well, I mean, essentially football day, but not necessarily a football day. But did you put in everything that was required for the most important football day in your life? So, you know, that's going to read a red flag there. He's helped out, though. It's not a great tackle class. It's not. Right. So that helps him. Um, you know, so, some of these offensive tackles, they're going to get overdrafted because the position is such a big Need, but uh, I think he saved himself some with a pro day. I still think any chance of him going round one is way out the window. Uh, who who would you say is the best offensive tackle in the group? Is it, what Connor Williams from uh, from Texas is that the guy? Or you know, I know Notre Dame has a couple of good offensive linemen in there as well. I, I, Connor Williams. Now here's the thing. I mean, it's almost split. You know, it's almost split down the middle. A lot of people, the way he measured in and he checked in, and I think we talked about this earlier. Kind of measured in like a guard. Um, are you going to try to play him at tackle? Because there's just not a lot. I mean, Nate Solder, you know, killed free agency with a huge contract because there was no competition there. So if you didn't get Nate Solder, you really don't have a good shot at upgrading your left tackle position in this draft. Uh, McGlinchey's probably there. Uh, interesting guy is the guy out of Western Michigan. Uh, now he's going by by Chooks Okarafor, but uh, only 21 years old. Uh, you know, almost six foot five, three hundred thirty pounds. He won't go round one. Um, got a little bigger uh, this past season in Western Michigan than you'd like him to be. He'd probably like him closer to that three twenty range. He moved a little better his junior season at that range. But I think he he won't be the first tackle taken. But I think he could very well be the best tackle when you want to go back and look at this group two years from now. I was going to say bless you with having to pronounce that name, but it's a name that we will be certainly mentioning here in the NFL. Uh, most you know. For years to come, hopefully, uh, you mentioned Oklahoma. You know, with you know Orlando Brown having the pro day. You know, obviously Baker Mayfield had the pro day as well. So, where do you assess him now after the combine and his pro day? I, I don't think anything's changed. If you like Baker Mayfield, he's your guy. And you know, I hate to do this. And, you know, I hate to be a height elitist because I'm you know, I'm only five foot eleven myself. But the fact that he's just six foot and a half. I mean, if he was at least an inch taller, I'd feel more comfortable. You know, Rosen, legit six foot four. Sam Darnold, legit six three. I still think he's the third quarterback in this draft, and I really don't doubt his play. But if I gotta slap these guys, that's probably really the one thing that I'm gonna use to put Baker down from Sam and down from Josh. But look, if you like him and you like fire and you like substance and flesh, and, and a guy who's gonna come in and 
you know, basically tell your team, I don't care what our record was last year. This is a whole new regime. I, you know, I'm not coming in here to play losing football. If you need, if you need your quarterback position to have the battery charged, he is certainly the guy to go do it with. Uh, you mentioned Josh Rosen as well. Uh, UCLA had their pro day here uh, very recently between the combine and the pro day. How do you rate? You know, I know there are some questions kind of regarding Rosen's I don't, mental toughness, I guess, if, if that's the best way to, to put it. Like, does he truly want to, you know, win or, you know, be in certain places? Where do you assess him now after these couple of uh, days? He's, yeah, for me, it's, it's easy. I mean, he was, I'd say by mid, mid-fall of 2017, he was the number one quarterback in this class. Nothing's changed. Uh, he's just a flawless thrower. He knows how to throw guys open, which at 21 years old is just ridiculous. I mean, Peyton Manning, after his rookie year, went home, was sitting on the couch, pouting with his old man. Nobody's ever getting open. And his father said, nah, they're open. You just got to know which angle they're open up. High, low, you know, I mean, you've got to learn where to put the ball, where to throw these guys open. And Josh already knows how to do that. The problem is, and I don't want to say it's a problem, the problem is he's an extremely intelligent guy at 21 years old. Yes, he is. And a lot of these people making decisions are north of 60, they're very set in their ways, and, and they're just not used to it. And I think with a kid like Josh Rosen is, he's going to ask you 100 questions, and people are going to think it's an annoyance. It's just that he might not agree with you, so you better be able to tell him, this is why we're doing this, and explain it through film. Explain it on a whiteboard. You can't give him the stock coach answer of, I'm the coach, I call the plays, you're the quarterback, run him. It's not going to work with him. And to be honest with you, this is the way it's working with any kids of these age. Mm-hmm. Kids 18 to 21 now are abundantly smarter than they were a decade ago, two decades ago. They just have so much exposure to you know how they can open their mind and what they can learn. It, it, for me, it's, it almost seems silly that some are saying, you know, oh, well, you know, he's a really smart kid. Well, how could that possibly be a negative? Right. Um, and look, yes, his mind's open to other things. That's fine. But you know, at the end of the day, what did he say? I want to play football. I want to make a lot of money. That tells me that's a guy who wants to play. He wants to play well. I mean, even going back to what the beginning of the the college football season, he was talking about NCAA and student athletes and stuff. And I think that raised a bit of a red flag within NFL circles. Wouldn't you agree? I, I but a lot of guys say look. A lot of guys say this, but a lot of guys don't get the exposure a quarterback does. That's so, also true. Know, that has to have, you know. It, Look, I mean, if your quarterback's going to be your team leader, and I'm, what, out of probably 30, 31 teams in the NFL, your quarterback is the guy who's going to have to go up in front of everybody and take all the tough questions. Yep. So do you want him to take a stance every now and then? Yeah. Yeah, you do. So, you know, that's just the way Josh Rosen is. He's not going to give you some stock BS answer. Um, He's going to speak from the heart. He's going to speak from the truth. He's going to be confident in what he says because he's an intelligent kid and he looks at things and looks at them in more than one way. You know, to, you know more than one way to skin a cat. So it's you know at, at, at times, or maybe media isn't going to like him. That's fine. Is he have the talent? Is he probably going to produce you wins on Sunday? That's all that matters. That's very true. A- absolutely. I just know that, like in in watching or listening to some of these shows that they were deeming Josh Rosen be maybe you know I don't know I don't know why they're necessarily bringing it up as a negative because if the kid's open minded and maybe is more thoughtful and thorough than. Maybe some of these other quarterbacks here. I think that's kind of the whole just say shut up and play football mentality here. That you know that I think a lot of people just want 
you know, from you know their the, these players and teams that they cheer for, which I don't necessarily agree with. Uh, back to the combine, though, there's a lot of talk regarding Darius Geis and the questions that he was asked about. Do you like men from one of the NFL teams? Are, are and this I know is is away from the field, and uh, but. I just want to get a, a quick thought from you on it. I mean, this is this is ridiculous that the that these sorts of questions have to be asked by teams. I know they're trying to elicit a response because uh, and see how kids handle it, or because who knows something worse could be said on the field by the opposing players. But that this sort of line of questioning, I think, has to go. Don't you think? Well, first things first. Um, you know, a lot of people want to refer to you know the NFL Combine as a job interview. So yep. if you're looking at this as a job interview, it's it's flat out illegal. It is against the law. Um, I give him credit for not naming names. If I was his agent, I'd certainly be looking to name names. It's yep. disgusting. It's offensive. Um, you know, I understand you're trying to get a rise or see how it, somebody handles a difficult situation. You know, it's it's it's, it's garbage. It you want to know what? I mean, we're, we're in 2018. A, number one, it don't freaking matter. Right. A, number two, change your ways. And this is what I got back to before with the guys, you know, with Josh Rosen. Oh, well, you know, okay, so you're 63 years old. Oh, this used to be acceptable. Well, it's not now. Yeah. You know, do do better. Learn differently. Preach. Preach. Hire a shrink. Hire a shrink and say, look, I really want to get into this young man's head. Can you give me three or four questions and tell me what I'm looking for? I mean, we've got private investigators following Baker Mayfield around. You know, Norman, Oklahoma, during his, you know, during the day of his pro day, we can't hire a shrink commit and, ha- and say, "Hey, I, I want to know the proper way to get inside a kid's head." It's just, I mean, if you're gonna, you want to play that game to get inside a guy's head, then hire a professional to do it. Just, don't be stupid. Don't look like an idiot. And you know, it's it's just it, it's garbage. And, and you know, I really wish that guys and his representation would have outed the culprit because the league doesn't need it. I, I believe eventually it, they will, and I would it's hope that. Get and, and, and I hope the NFL takes a stance on it. I hope the NFL PA takes a stance on it. I mean, I would think, you know, kick the team out of the combine, strip them a draft pick, say like, hey, this is not right to do. But I, I, I'm i with you 100% of the way. You, you know, preach, continue to preach that message because this has got to get weeded out of the NFL and hopefully um, that will do. Now, just talking about guys, where do we, I mean, I know we talked, mentioned him a, a time or two before, but where are we looking at him now uh, with him in this draft? Do you think he's a first-round draft pick? Where do you rank him, uh, of course, behind Saquon Barkley? I think you're, you're probably going to start to see some running backs go in the latter part of the first round. And I think Saquon's going to – I mean, not Saquon, obviously. I think Darius guys is going to fall into that group. It's going to be interesting, though. Uh, everybody's pretty much confident who the number one running back class is uh, in this class is. Some are wavering that it's not Saquon Barkley and. Look, I, I think that's just paralysis by analysis at this point. I, I think it's an easy decision to have him first. But I, I don't think the gap between the number two back and the number five back is that different. I think it's kind of a, you know, what flavor of ice cream do you like? Mm-hmm. So I think Geis is a guy who's probably going to see go, you know, late round one. He could be a nice, nice fit with Philly at 32. Uh, you know, as they, you know, try to, you know, they did it with a bunch of guys last year. Do they want to maybe go more central to one guy? And then you know, use their you know a couple other guys in gimmick roles and pass receiving roles, you know, like a Corey Clement and that type of thing. So he can go. I, I think at the end of the day, he's going to end up going late first round. Yes. 
couple, a couple other questions to get you out of here on. Who were a couple of other winners and losers that you had from the Combine? Um, because obviously you're there for a whole week. There were certainly some other names other than Griffin, other than Geis, other than Williams here who certainly made a name for themselves, good or bad. I'll go with a couple of pass rushers. Um, I, for one, I wasn't, you know, I like Bradley Chubb. I think Bradley Chubb's a fantastic player. But the fact that everybody kind of made Bradley Chubb the be-all, end-all defensive end or pass rusher in this class, I, I never really got on. Harold Landry out of Boston College was a phenomenal player in 2016. Uh, you know, still, in my opinion, still should have declared for the 2017 draft. He came back nagging injuries through his senior year. Uh, wasn't able to do the senior bowl because he wanted to make sure he was ready to go at the combine. And he blew it up. His jumps were fantastic. He ran well. Um, I think the difference between him and Chubb is I think you look at Chubb as more of a traditional 4-3 DN. Whereas you look at Landry, I think you have more of an edge guy. And he's he's quick enough. And he, he's able to back, backside pursue plays. Fantastic player. Uh, Josh Sweat just knocked the damn combine on its ground out of Florida State. Now, he was a guy as a high school senior, was one of the top recruits in the nation, suffered a nasty injury midway through his senior year in high school. Um, at Florida State, as the years went on, he started to get more and more of it back. Um, he still does not be best as far as you know, left-to-right agility, and that may be something that you're never going to completely get all the way back from his knee injury. But, I mean, you know, running a 4-3, you know, a vertical jump of over 40 inches. We're talking about a guy at six foot four, 260-something pounds. I think he easily probably he jumped himself around, if not maybe 45, 50 picks. He's probably a guy now in late-round consideration who, before the combine, you were probably talking, you know, early round three. Just a phenomenal, phenomenal workout for him. I still don't ever think he'll be a lead pass rusher. But uh, I think he's going to be the guy that can clean up and easily, you know, you know, put say if he was, you know, with a JJ Watt, he'll easily work his way into ten sacks because you will have to ignore the guy who may be the better player, but you may be, you know, get, you know, putting a right tackle on a guy who's the better athlete, and you know, he's going to score. He's going to score a lot of wins that way. Excellent. And who were a couple of guys then that you didn't think took care of business at the combine that they needed to? Mika Fitzpatrick. We need to see the rest of his workouts. Alabama holds two pro days. Why they hold the pro day three days after the combine, it makes absolute zero sense to me. So everybody comes down there, and the only guys you're seeing work out, really, are the guys who weren't invited to the combine. So, you know, but I mean, for Alabama, obviously things are a little bit different down there with the factory they are. Uh, we need to see more, you know, some more workouts. I mean, you see three cone, and you see some better jumps. I think right now, making Fitzpatrick, you know, for a guy who, for about a year now, everybody was salivating for and had him as a top five guy in this draft, uh, I think now we're, you know, here we are 40 days away. We're still not really sure what position he plays. There's some people who want to say he's a cornerback. Well, if you want to say he's a cornerback, we don't have much tape of that. I've got tape of Denzel Ward playing quarterback. Cornerback, he's fantastic. I've got tape of Jairi Alexander out of Louisville playing cornerback. He is fantastic. These guys both ran in the four threes. So now they have cornerback tape. They're better athletes than Minka Fitzpatrick. So if I'm putting him at cornerback, why would I draft Minka Fitzpatrick above these guys? Now himself, they ask what, you know, where does he think he fits best? He thinks he fits best closer to the line in a nickel type of role. So that right there, what he said he thinks he's best at, doesn't warrant a top 10 selection. So Minka Fitzpatrick, it's weird to say, but I think at the end of the day, he's going to end up going outside of the top 10. 
And it's no fault of who he is. He's a fantastic kid. He's committed as hell. But sometimes when you are so versatile, when people have to sit down and actually find out what it is that you are going to be, that that's going to create an issue. And what what are a couple of pro days now that you're looking to, like in terms of guys that uh, could help themselves either from a poor combine or just that you're looking to see a little bit more out of in general? What are a couple of pro days coming up here that you're looking forward to? Well, one, this will interest you. Man, we we really need to see some Dallas Goddard. Yes, we do. Um, obviously, the senior bowl you know, didn't work out. Obviously, combine didn't work out. Here's a guy that everybody loves, but... You know, in the tape, obviously, what do we always tell you when we're watching, you know, the, le- you know, the level below? You better be destroying your competition, which mm-hmm. nobody has any doubt about. He destroyed the competition he faced. But at the end of the day, you know, a lot of this is numbers. We want numbers. How high can he jump? How fast can he run? How fast can he run a three-cone? These are things teams want. If Dallas can test, he's a big one that people are looking for. Uh, I'm trying to think. Uh, Avani Akaranku out of Oklahoma. We don't really have uh, we don't have a short shuttle times. He's a guy who you know could be the fourth, fifth pass rusher in this class. Um, some times has not been released here. He's a guy you want to see more of. Um, like I said, a couple of Alabama guys. We need a little bit more. You know, uh, Minka. We need that second pro day out of the Alabama guys. Sean Deion Hamilton, Rashawn Evans. We need to see a little more from those guys. You know, before we can you know finish grades on them and see if they warrant, you know, you, you can't just say, oh, well, they played at Bama, go ahead, throw up on a board, we'll take them. So, you know, seeing that, yeah, Mink is definitely one, it's going to be one of interest there. Uh, and I, finally, I would be remiss if I did not uh, at least get your thoughts uh, on the trade frenzy that happened uh, last week with the, or a couple weeks ago now with the Cleveland Browns, getting Tyrod Taylor, Jarvis Landry, Demarius Randall from the Packers, all in separate trades. Then they go out and uh, sign Carlos Hyde uh, out of free agency. Does Do you think that takes them out of Sa- the Saquon Barkley sweepstakes there at number one? It's just... It absolutely blew me away, but I, I I love what Dorsey was able to do and not having to give up a lot of draft capital for it, a lot of draft picks. I think that's absolutely fantastic. I really think the Browns are turning it around here, uh, and I I think they are going to be a playoff team within three years. That may be a tad optimistic, but I, I really like the direction that this team is going with the talent that they acquired here uh, within the last couple of weeks. I think one of the first things they did is, it, and that here was the issue they had. Look, John Dorsey, when he, he was given the job, you know, he was able to put together a decent front office. But he had to, part of the deal was, you're keeping a coach who is 1-31 in 31 in the last two years. Yep. So the trades were, well, this is great that I've got over $100 million in cap space. How am I going to sell this place? How am I going to sell anybody? Because what agent's going to say, well, you're going to sign there, uh, and they may have a new head coach by October 1st. So what did he say? I got. I got to make some trades. I got to get some guys in here now, so at least I have a pitch for when I try to get these guys on the phone at free agency. So you go out and you bring in a Tyrod Taylor. So what are they going to do? They're going to take a quarterback at one. What are they not going to do that they did last year? Rush the rookie quarterback. They're not going to do that this time. You have Tyrod Taylor. If the rookie beats him out early, that's fine. If he beats him out by midseason, that's fine. If Tyrod Taylor plays well enough that you're going to leave him out there for 16 games, that's fine too. You know what you have in Tyrod Taylor. Uh, the Jarvis Landry thing. Uh, what Cleveland needed, and look, Josh Gordon, fantastic, fantastic wide receiver. When everything's right and he's el- and he's available, one of the top five in the game. Mm-hmm. Corey Coleman, lots of, lots of, lots of injuries. So the problem is you kind of need 
two insurance policies. Because, look, Josh Gordon, I mean, in a whisper, could be gone forever. Corey Coleman, two years in, both times he's missed seven games, you know, in both seasons. So you needed a guy that could at least show you some production and can catch the ball. Jarvis Landry, I'm not a hugest fan of. Um, he's not very athletic, but he does his role well. He, you know, if it's, it's the intermediate game, it's the three to five yard routes. He'll catch every ball that's within his radius. So I, he can kind of help you move, you know, move the chains. You know, you're hoping for bigger plays with, you know, your tight ends and with Gordon and with Coleman. But, you know, you've got that third and three. Jarvis Landry's got a bag, a bag of routes he can run for that. Deshaun Kaiser moved over to Green Bay. He brought in Demarius Randall. Marius Randall was a good corner for Green Bay. Comes with a little bit of baggage. Yep. But in your front office, you've brought in Highsmith. You've brought in Elliot Wilf. These guys were part of the responsibility of you know drafting Randall to Green Bay. He's going to go back home to his position of free safety. That's where he played in college. He played corner at Green Bay. He's going to play free safety. It allows Greg Williams to mix up his looks. He's got more guys that can play man coverage. So you know nickel and dime situation, he can have a little more fun. You know, people aren't going to be able to read the assignment from the line of scrimmage to the opposing quarterback. Plus, he does have good ball skills, so he can do that. So that was much needed. And then they moved on. Uh, obviously, they moved uh, They moved Danny Shelton. They moved Jason McCourty out of the New England Patriots. Yep. Danny Shelton was a good player, but the problem was is in, eight, in 19, he was slated to make $11 million as a former first-round pick. He's a, he's a, he's a, he consumes blocking, run-stuffing, two downs, eat tackle. It just wasn't fitting what they wanted. They wanted bigger, more athletic guys, create more havoc, you know, blow stuff up in the backfield. That's where he didn't fit. And then Jason McCourty, I, you know, he played well for probably the first, I'd say, 10 weeks. Then the injuries came on. His game kind of fell off. Uh, I think they were going to move on from him. I still think they're going to move on from the other starting quarterback this year, Jamar Taylor. So, hey, New England called, offered you a pick, 13 picks higher than, you know, a seventh that's now a six. And he gets to go play with his brother. I think Cleveland was more than happy. Yeah, that's fantastic. You know, free agency is uh, well in here. And uh, I know uh, Jeff will have you on here in the weeks to come leading up to the draft, uh, previewing more of the positions, getting more of a mock draft. It's going to be a lot of fun. And I appreciate the time as always, my friend. Take care. Anytime, Nathan. Give that baby a hug for me, bro, all right? Will do. Thank you, Jeff. Jeff, Jeff Lloyd the second from Locked On Browns podcast. Appreciate his time and perspective as always. Great stuff there regarding the combine and uh, some pro days. Pro days more to come, and we will have him on in the weeks to come here uh, leading up to the draft. Give us his mock draft. Also preview more. Get some more information on these positions. Some players uh, on both offense and defense here who we can expect uh, to see go fairly high uh, in the draft or whose draft stock is rising, who's falling. It's great stuff here. NFL draft coming up again April, what, 26th through the 28th? Last weekend in April. That's all I know. Great stuff there. It'll be from Dallas. So Jeff Lloyd, the second again, Lockdown Browns podcast. Take a listen to it. Great stuff there from him regarding the Browns and everything like that. Excellent stuff from Jeff Lloyd, the second, as always. And so we wrap up this week's edition of the Sports Block Podcast. Uh, you know, Sweet 16, uh, that's, I think, the thing that everyone is focused on here. Uh, I mean, your brackets, again, torn up in shreds now, thanks in large part to UMBC becoming the first 16 seed ever to beat a one seed in the NCAA tournament. Uh, that is 
had by far and away the biggest storyline to come out of this week's tournament. Uh, you know, Cincinnati blowing a huge lead to Nevada. Uh, Xavier getting bounced, uh, falling to Florida State. That's not great. Michigan State losing. But also the dominance that Villanova and Duke have shown. You know, the Pac-12 didn't even have a team get out of the first round at that the first time in a number of years. Maybe the first time ever? No, I thought I think it was like the first time since the 80s or something. It was just... It's just crazy, but uh, you see everything going on here, and um, yeah, it's one of the reasons why we love March, and um, it, it is it is great, and we certainly look forward to the Sweet 16 and the Elite Eight. Uh, just dropped a rhyme. Didn't know I had the time to do that, but that's fine. That's cool. This is what we do here on the Sports Block Podcast. We're following along free agency. Next week, we'll have uh, the, some baseball talk, a baseball preview, as well as March Madness. And, um, you know, it, it's great stuff. And, um, you know, I know, Grandpa, I know you're listening to this, I hope. I hope we, and uh, I know you'll be listening here to future podcasts as well. I hope you are, well, um, you're playing some billiards up there. Uh, going bowling. Get a bowl of 300 there for me. Um, but thinking of you, buddy. Um, and we miss you. That's for sure. But uh, again, hopefully you enjoy everything. Uh, you know, Keep track of the free agency. But again, we're all about the March Madness. Travis is all about the baseball coming up here. Uh, but we're, about, we're all about the March Madness. That's pretty much all we can say here. So... Uh, appreciate uh, Jeff Lloyd and Jeff Lloyd the second and Travis for coming on the the podcast. We'll be hearing a lot more of Jeff here, like I just mentioned, in the weeks to come leading up to the NFL draft. But um, yeah, that March Madness, great time of the year. So uh, again, you can find this podcast available online uh, on iTunes. Just search Sports Block Podcast. Otherwise, follow me on Twitter at ND Stacken. And also on Facebook, Nathan Stacken have a link uh, to the podcast on each of those social media sites. A couple other quick notes here. Uh, Penny Hardaway, now the new head coach of the Memphis Tigers. There takes over for the fired Tubby Smith, Trey Young, and uh, Mobamba. Two freshmen from the Big 12, Trey Young, of course, with Oklahoma, Mobamba with Texas, they have declared for the NBA draft. There is a the, the NCAA hockey regional is taking place in Sioux Falls. I believe what you have Minnesota State, Mankato. So it's just Minnesota State University. You have St. Cloud State. Two of the teams that are in that region. I know tickets have sold out fast. I was I know a lot of uh, North Dakota fans were hoping UND hockey fans were hoping they'd make the tournament this year. They didn't. Neither did Minnesota. Um, so, but I mean. You got two schools in the area. It's going to be a blast. Uh, first time that uh, the NCAA tournament has come to the Denny Sanford Premier Center, and I know it's going to go off without a hitch. It's going to be great, and uh, hopefully they come back. But enjoy the hockey down there in Sioux Falls. It should be a great time. Enjoy the Sweet 16 and the Elite Eight here. It's going to going to be great. And uh, once again, Grandpa, thinking about you a lot. Um, we're going to miss you. And so with that, we say thank you for listening to this week's edition of the Sports Block Podcast. Enjoy, keep enjoying the March Madness. We'll talk to you next week here at Nathan Stack and saying thank you for listening. 
Hope you tune in again next week here to another edition of the Sports Block Podcast.